Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. My name is Colin Hunter, and today I'm going to welcome Nassim Malik. It's a great conversation. You can tell when you're hosting podcasts that there's a flow to a conversation and a way that you can just get ideas from the person you're talking to, but also it becomes a two-way dialogue around topics. And, and the topics we're going to talk about today are critical in the, in the current markets, but in, in any market, which is supply chain, supply of uh, talents, but it's also about the humanizing and the increasing humanizing of that process transaction of people going in, out of businesses, retention. So we'll talk about a number of topics in there and get his views from the, his side in terms of being uh, in the supply chain of people for organizations. And then we'll talk a bit about his angel investing towards the end. But it's a fascinating episode. Lovely man to, to, to be able to talk to. So enjoy. So tell me, just as a warmer, tell me how, how things been. What have you been working on? Well, it's been a fascinating past uh, a little over two years now, two years and a quarter in terms of what we're seeing in an unprecedented labor market, right? So we've been scrambling over two and a half years, almost helping companies hire, keep up with the madness that has been the labor market here in the U.S., um, after the precipitous fall in 2020 to the pickup from Q4 2020 to probably late last year um, and early this year. So now it's, okay, with all the fundamental changes of building back up the teams, uh, identifying the right talent, especially in the supply chain world, everybody mm -hmm. now knows what supply chain is since post-2020. So the relevance has uh, only increased. The stature of the function has increased. Uh, so we've been uh, we've been helping companies uh, continue to try to stay ahead of ahead of the curve when it comes to skill set, when it comes to talent, when it comes to location, mm -hmm. when it comes to compensation. So all these things have uh, experienced so much volatility and so much change, um, and have now identified what is this current new norm. It hasn't been a dull moment. Now, having said that, it has slowed a little bit the past um, I would say roughly a quarter just under a quarter. Uh, but even that, uh, take that with a little bit of grain of salt because we still have over you know, one and a half openings for every one person that is looking for a job. So wow. that, that dynamic, right? So on the one hand, you hear all these talks of, oh, inflation, recession, uh, but then the labor market continues to stay incredibly tight. You know, we've got headwinds in the market um, at the moment, and we're feeling it's slightly soft on the on the sales side and longer to to close deals. But it is interesting because what we do it impacts on retention, impacts on skill sets. So we're talking to a lot of people, and it's fascinating how it's been a bit of a turbulent two three years where. It's on one part, it's been the, the, you know, the, the candidate has the power. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then it was the organization has the power and their power to, to recruit and pay the salaries. And now it's slightly gone, but it's, you don't know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, right now it's always the, you know, one sector continues to dominate. So for the past two, two and a half months, it's also been the tech sector leading the way mm -hmm. with the layoffs the cutting the jobs, the retrenching and the hiring. Now, what gets a little bit lost in translation here is, is that they did come out and say, we did overhire. We did over-index our needs for uh, talent uh, the past uh, probably two years. So now they are beginning to 
bring that into a little bit more balance. But even if you look at it, if you look at the numbers, for instance, if Amazon, you know, hired hundreds of thousands of people, well, they're announcing layoffs that are less than 10% of that. Same with Facebook, same with Apple hasn't announced yet. So they're, they're mm-hmm. not in that boat, but Google has announced Salesforce. So it's still overall a lot less the, the numbers, but the impact it has on the psyche, the impact it has on the market, the impact it has across industries, it does ripple. And other con- mm-hmm. uh, companies start thinking, well, we should now be looking at our headcount. We should be looking at our hiring and um, making sure we're being prudent, right? Mm-hmm. But then you've got sectors from retail to hospitality, transportation, and even broadly in manufacturing that still need people. And they're still out there trying to hire people. Now, good news for them is, is that there are a little bit more people now available and people are a little bit more now, let's put it this way, maybe a little bit more rational (laughs) in terms (laughs) of compensation and in terms of asks. So whereas they felt they could take more liberties, Mm -hmm. uh, they are a little bit more amenable to um, from a wage perspective, even with the growth we've seen over the past several, several years now. Even with that growth, they're still coming and uh, adjusting a little bit where companies can say, okay, we can hire now. So, the, you know, and there's two issues because we started in, in some ways into the conversation and I, I love this, <laughs> but maybe let's just take a step back. So for the listeners who are listening and going, so I understand who Colin is, but who is this guy? So tell us a bit about your background, Asim. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I started my career. I'm a former supply management procurement sourcing professional. So I was in the function for about 15 years. And was very fortunate to have the opportunity to work for a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries. In fact, I actually did work for 10 companies, and every single one of them was, uh, you know, it was me moving on out of my own volition to greener mm-hmm. pastures. So while I wasn't a millennial, I was a pre-millennial when it came to opportunities and moving on, right? So I had the, uh, <laughs> A pre-millennial. Is that a new term that you just made up? I never heard that. That's great. A pre-millennial. A pre-millennial. <laughs> as long as it doesn't make me sound like a pre-Madonna, I guess. That's yeah, okay. well, okay. <laughs> uh, but everything from trucking industry to printing, publishing, consumer product goods, did a little consulting. Also worked in a couple of startups as well. And then ended my career in a traditional... Uh, heavy equipment manufacturing, where I was there for about five years. So when I left corporate America, I was at, I was at a director level, director for sourcing. And then about almost 11 years ago, I took that skill set of sourcing goods and services and now applying it to sourcing human capital within the world of supply chain operations and sourcing, uh, strategic sourcing, supply chain operations. So now I get to help companies find talent uh, instead of goods and services. And when people ask me, oh, is it harder? Is it easier? Like, it's the hardest thing in the world. What's more difficult than dealing with humans? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. It's great. It's, it's rewarding. Yeah. It is, but it's, it is. it's bloody difficult. Yeah. So and then you're right about the reward, but you know, when the piece of the puzzle falls in place where you find that candidate that has, uh, is, you know, is the right match, right fit for the company, and then you see them thrive, do well, progress in their career, um, that makes it makes it very fulfilling, especially when they come back and tell you what an impact is, it has um, on them and helping the companies be able to achieve those results as well. Because, you know, as much as they say people is their most important asset and people this, mm-hmm. people that, a lot of it is, you know, the talk is a little bit ahead of the walk there. But when it does work, it is a, it is, it is a great experience as well. But then on the other side, 
You know, it's not like inventory or a commodity that uh, you're transacting, right? Uh, there is the human factor. People will change their mind. People will ghost you. People will be less than forthcoming. So you have to contend with all of those too. It's an interesting one because when you contract on a supply chain, normal products, materials, and other things, there's a there's an, almost an expectation of quality and what comes through. What's fascinating to me is the human nature, as you say. You contract in terms of resourcing people in, and th- there's a two-sided equation to that. There's one is, you know, the job is oversold, expectations are so high, the company from the outside looks amazing, as we were hinting and talking about before. And then the other side is, you know, overselling your skills, capabilities, or, you know, your desire and passion in there. And I, I'm, I'm always fascinated in, in that industry to understand how, firstly, you can predict that ratio is going to work or that equation is going to work. And secondly, how you track it in terms of compensation and other pieces, because there's two sides to that. How successful are you and your track record is only as good as your last hire in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right about the uh, the complexity of it because there's so much that goes into it just because somebody looks good on paper, looks good initially before that, right? It would be a phone call. And now it's a video call, video interviewing. Now you're onboarding people remotely, people that have never met their uh, bosses or their colleagues or people that work for them. So what, especially that level of complexity, um, it makes it even more challenging. Uh, but even despite all of that, despite whatever AI or whatever HR tech can come in, there is that element of chemistry, which cannot, it's such an intangible that it, there is just no substitute for it, right? If mm-hmm. if you don't have that, right, you could have everything else, but that's where, and good or bad, right? Sometimes there are biases that come in, sometimes there's preferences that come in, but it is there, call it whatever you want, the it factor, chemistry, but that is a, that is a really important part of it. And we've seen, uh, many uh, unlikely candidates end up um, getting a position or many uh, great candidates that for no reason other than just didn't click, um, not making it through. So, How do you bridge that gap? Because in your experience, we were talking about you, you, know, you do other things in terms of angel investing, other pieces out there. So it's this piece about being able to observe an organization and see how it operates and then working out fit, whether it's leadership team, talents, so how do you work in there? Because there's so many different ways you can do this, but how do you operate? In terms of helping a company identify or helping yeah. find that right uh, that right fit for them? A lot of yeah. the columns just comes back to, and this is where having been a practitioner in the function, having been somebody that has hired and built teams to now tell our clients that, look, we can help you find the right talent. We can help you build your teams. We can help you find the people that will deliver the results that you need. We do have to set aside some of our own preferences. Early on, when I started, I would catch myself saying, what's wrong with you? I'd hire this person in a heartbeat. Why wouldn't you hire them? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's that part where you have to check yourself. You have to make sure you're truly listening and understanding what it is that the uh, typically a senior leader is asking for, the hiring manager um, is asking for what you know what gets them excited about a candidate what is that indispensable thing that they need um, and you know or it could be two or three things that are their must-haves that they need short of which they would not entertain so it's understanding their personality their traits and we always ask them what's it like to work for you or what would your employees say about you what would your team members say about you what would your previous bosses say about you I mean, you, under, you want to understand them, articulate their vision, their mission statement for the company, 
what they're expecting the person to do, but you also want to try to understand the leader as well, because that goes a long way in selling the opportunity to a potential candidate. Because an A player, uh, somebody that's going to come in and be a leader, one of their top questions is going to be, who am I working for? What are they like? Uh, what's their story? What's their background? Is this somebody I can learn from? Is this somebody that will you know, teach me and help me advance in my career? So that part is important from the hiring manager and then trying to understand from uh, the HR leadership what the culture is like, what the um, organizational structure is like, how do people move forward there? What is what is important to them? Is it is training and development truly important to them? Is somebody coming in having skills and hit the ground running more important or are they okay with somebody that has the runway and can can truly grow into this role so these are the things mm-hmm. you have to understand because underlying all of this theme is the compensation factor because that mm-hmm. is that is the unspoken because a lot of times companies will want something at a price point they cannot afford yet their expectations stay high so now mm-hmm. with what's happened in the past two years especially supply chain calling We've seen 30 to 35% salary increase just in the function. Wow. And that's been a sticker shock. Obviously, we've seen inflation, you know, be seven, eight, nine percent. Uh, but that single aspect of when it comes to the salary numbers going up has been has been one of the biggest challenges. And those companies that have been able to deal with it are the ones that were able to get the talent and uh, and just as importantly, hang on to their people. Because remember, if you've got good talent, they're just as susceptible to being poached by others out there. So that also comes in as a as a key part. It's interesting when the on the salary side, because I'm fascinated by this, because there is this been this conundrum, which is a number of organizations we work for just said we can't afford to pay, we can't afford to do the bump, you know, thirty thirty five percent. So they said, okay, so we're sticking where we are. So let's look at reskilling. Let's look at internal reskilling refocus of people internally. And then others who have gone the 30, 35% bump have now realized the impact, the cost to the, uh, to the business is huge. So actually it's cost to sell and cost to make on product is, is huge. But then you've got this transparency of pay legislation coming in, which is, is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So it's, oh, so this is what I could have. Yeah. And That's a lot right. of these organizations are starting to say, well, we can't afford to pay all that, but we've got to do that. So, as a business owner, you go, yeah, how do I deal with this? Yeah. You know, that is something which two of the segments that we've worked in really highlighted or contrasted uh, what you just described there. So one of them is on the on the tech side, startup mm-hmm. in tech. So we had a, a client uh, over the past couple of years that had a billion dollar cash infusion and was looking to hire the creme de la creme for building mm-hmm. manufacturing on, let's say, on the tech side overseas all across the world and they were like we're going to spare no expense we want to hire people from you know apple amazon facebook google from those companies and we're going to pay cash right we're a private company so that was an interesting client we had a lot of fun uh, but, <laughs> I can under- imagine. but yeah but the end lucrative of course but to understand um the world that these people lived in i mean they would come to us and they would tell us uh, and see I know this is sickening, but you know I have you know I've got a ten uh, sorry I've got a eight figure compensation package, and this person's forty years old, right? So that's mm-hmm. a bubble unlike what ninety percent plus of corporate America can't relate with it. 
So those yeah. guys and gals are not going to be hired by most companies either because they're at that certain level. Now, a lot of it was stock driven, the historic run up of stock, which is now going the other way. It's just a story today about how Amazon uh, is uh, had to now admit that, yeah, their salaries are in trouble because their stock has been going down so long mm-hmm. that uh, their employees are restless now. So there is that effect. So that's one aspect that we saw. The other one, Colin, is the private equity world. So the PE segment is such that they don't mince words. They don't they don't stall. Once they've honed in on what they want, they understand the market. They know the competitive nature. They typically do not let compensation stand in the way of hmm. getting who they want. So we love those clients as well, too, because they're quick, they're fast, they can make their decision. And it's not for everyone. Um, that kind of uh, the pace, the environment, what they want. I mean, they're very adamant. If they've got manufacturing in middle of nowhere, America, you have to relocate. doesn't matter if it's mm-hmm. 2020, 21, 22, or today. So those are some of those things. Um, and once you're in there, you've got to perform or you're gonna, it's going to be short-lived. But they don't waste time or they don't let good talent out of their sites because they lost to somebody else on comp. It's interesting. And there is this concept I've always always thought about. It was crystallized by a French friend that anybody should be looking for their next job. Um, and I'm, at the same time I was talking to him, says, what do you mean? He said, well, if you're looking for your next job, you're going to keep yourself fit and healthy because therefore you're attractive to the market. Secondly, you're benchmarking to look in the market. And then thirdly, you're ready to go when the time comes to get out there and do that. And I think that's great. It's this piece about that you're highlighting there's different job markets. So going into startup, high risk, small, yeah, there's a chance that you're in, you're out, you're gone. And it takes a, a particular type of character. And then there's the larger corporates who there's a more of a job for life stable, not quite job for life, but as a stable environment in there. And how do you filter out when people are coming to you to be able to, to pass on between the two? How do you engage with that? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, your French friend, uh, does that person want to be in the recruiting world? Because they got it. <laughs> they know exactly what they're talking about. Uh, absolutely right in terms of those three things that you mentioned. Those are imperative. And that's something that we always preach the candidates as well, or talent at large, that uh, those, three, those three points you mentioned are, are important because you just can't have your head down. I just talked to a, a very sharp uh, young uh, you know, vice president who's been with the company 15 years, head down, did a great job, but now is out and has not much of a network. Resume hasn't been updated. People don't yeah. know how good she is because you've got to build your brand. You've got to understand that you've got to tout what you're doing. So yeah, you're right about that. That's something that, uh, that we're always, uh, that we're always uh, preaching as well too. Uh, what we see in terms of how talent is moving between uh, opportunities and what they're doing and, and what kind attract the different type of companies, right? A lot of it is based on the requirements, their backgrounds and, and finding those types that so there's still a lot of this uh, that we deal with. Hey, pharmaceutical things, only a pharmaceutical person can excel in our career. Um, high tech manufacturing. Oh, if you haven't worked in that environment, you're not going to be successful here. Mm-hmm. Even with the market being as tight as it is, even with talent being at such a premium and compensation and all these other factors and the remote aspect coming in, uh, there's still, I'm, you know, we're surprised that even today we still have to deal with, hey, 
you've got to look at the pool much more broadly because this is unprecedented. So the numbers we have today, Colin, it's over 50 years that we haven't had a 3.4, 3.5% unemployment. So nobody mm. working today has been in a market, unless they're really, really old and they probably shouldn't be working. Nobody's ever seen a market like this before in this country. Mm. Uh, yet that still fails to, a lot of people still fail to understand that, that reality that uh, we're in right now. For me, it's, it's fascinating in there because it's this, look, so we've recruited somebody from who's a beautician for customer service, and she's landed superbly into there because we knew her, the track record of treating customers in a particular way, service. It's almost the analogous cross-skilling that you get into. And also, I was having another podcast conversation, and we were talking about a young person who, at the age of 21, was given one of the largest accounts for this particular client, because she was disciplined. So there's a piece about identifying the skills rather than the personal, the background. So I'm with you on that on the pharma side. So going back into some of the problems that, that organizations are facing and how you're, you're dealing with that, talk to me about the cross-skill piece and the work in there. How do you see that happening? Because supply chain and people is going to be a, a critical thing. And in the future, reskilling is going to be uh, a massive piece for organizations. What's your views? You're absolutely right. That is those, those are the two key uh, aspects we, we uh, are very interested in when we're talking to clients and try to understand that. And something um, I've been talking a lot about the past two years is the reskilling and the mm -hmm. upskilling, both. Right. So it's okay. If you want to move them into a new role within companies, you can't find talent. You've got to be able to find, reskill them, move them into um, different roles or upskill them, right? If um, you want to grow your folks in, in, let's say, supply chain and you want them to uh, take on more leadership, then what are you doing to um, help get them to that level, right? So on the reskilling side, what we see, the more progressive companies are the ones that will realize that, okay, organically, and, and this comes back to some of the leaders that we've seen be uh, uh, really successful chief supply chain, chief procurement officers, they want to be recognized within their company as being a function that attracts people from other talent. So that's where you come into that, okay, we can get people from manufacturing, we can get people from engineering, we can get people from IT that want to come in to the supply chain world because the beauty of the supply chain function, Colin, is, is unlike a lot of other functions, maybe uh, other than finance, finance shares this trait, it touches almost every single function of a company. So as a supply mm -hmm. chain professional, you're working with um, operations, marketing, manufacturing, engineering, accounting, finance, HR, because you're dealing with either suppliers or manufacturers or services or providers. So with that kind of a broad remit, that makes the function very desirable. So when we see a lot of chief supply chain officers or chief procurement officers not be able to find people from the outside, they're like, okay, we need a sourcing professional for IT. We'll teach them sourcing. Let's go get somebody from IT. So yeah. they're able to bring them into the function, train them, and they know the function. They know the suppliers. They know how to negotiate. And, you know, you teach them the principles, and they're really successful. So uh, we've had clients where, you know, the CPOs have told us that, hey, our CEOs have come to us and said, you've become an internal talent factory for the company, and we really appreciate that, that you not only bring people into your organization, and train them and, and uh, have them do well, but then they move on. 
they get plucked mm-hmm. from your organization and they move on to, let's say, operations or they move on to a GM role or they move on to running a small business within the company. So it works both ways. So that yeah. kind of reskilling is ex- incredibly important. And then on the upskilling side is these same leaders understand that, hey, if we're not providing training and development for our team members, they're going to leave. And that's been something that's been a top two or three, much more so than even compensation. Now, after 2020, I would say the number one thing is still flexibility. Is still people <laughs> wanting a hybrid setup, right? The whole remote hybrid on-site. That still is number one. But a very close second would be the training and development. So if you can do that to your talent in-house, if you can continue to give them opportunities to grow out their skill set and increase that, you know, continue to help them upskill, you'll do a lot better than others in, in retaining your, your talent. It's made me think about a couple of things. So one is, one of the thoughts I had was when we were working with finance, we look, always looked at what made a good finance business partner. And when we identified, and we worked with you know, hundreds of people going through these, these programs, and there was the ones who came from the traditional finance background. And then there are the ones, as you say, who came from other parts of the, the business or industry and came into finance to operate. Now, right. my gut feel, and I'm probably going to alienate all of my professional finance friends in here, but the people who came from the business side uh, were easier to, to then translate into the finance skills and get them operate. And they were seen as a more commercial partnership uh, in there. So it's, you know, that's for me is exactly right in terms of you, but they were there for a source of the future business leaders, not just CFOs, but the business leaders as is a trial record. Yeah. So coming back into the supply chain, I've going to make a tenuous link and see if we can do this because (laughs) there's a piece about procurement and there's a piece about how you procure whatever it is. And there's a value to procurement, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's almost, it's not a new profession, but it's been elevated in importance in business. And we come across it every time we go into contracts in there. And then there's this conversation about the value of people. So I can get it in terms of supplies and widgets, but the, the people side and the value you get from contracting and taking that in, how are procurement perceived in your minds in terms of that supply of talent and what do you think the strengths are and sometimes the downsides of procurement in that, that focus? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, the, the rule of thumb has always been, a lot of leaders will say, and even when I was in the function, was it's a 10x impact. So whatever you cost your company, you should have the ability to be able to save or provide value at least 10 times that much, right? So if you're making $100,000, well, fully loaded, it'll be another 30% more, but let's say 100,000, 10X, be able to save at least a million bucks a year to really provide value for your company. So a lot of the, uh, from the procurement side, table stakes is coming in and being able to boost the company's bottom line, especially when things were, uh, when you get into an environment where the sales slow down, top line is uh, slowing, then any dollar you save goes directly to the bottom line. So that takes on heightened importance. And so, you know, that is now that I'm on the other side and let's say we're working with a potential client, I love to be able to give them this statistic. And, you know, my former procurement people don't really like it when I, when I say this to them, I'm like, come on, man, I was in your, I was in your uh, shoes. I know where this is coming from. Don't tell me, don't tell me you want to negotiate with me on a little fee on uh, what we can provide when the person that you have 
the right person will save you compare forget what they're going to cost you right our whatever the cost of uh, hire the cost of acquisition is going to be so much more than what you could possibly even value is that it's it's peanuts right so don't be myopic think big one of my best examples is for a client i don't know maybe it cost like forty thousand dollars for them to hire this person let's say forty forty five thousand but in less than two years two and a half years this individual saved that company over 25 million dollars Wow. So I would love telling the CPO this and he would admit, he goes, yeah, that was one of the greatest hires we ever had. He moved on obviously, but not without before that impact. So I was like, so don't you think that 40, 50 grand, um, I can't even do the X on that, right? 10 X, 20, 30, 100. <laughs> yeah. So do you not think that it warrants a different mindset and looking at it mm. as an investment in the right person? We get caught up in, you know, a bad hire and how costly a mishire can be and what the mm. implications, and they are, uh, they truly are. It does take a long time to recover from that. But yeah, that perspective of um, now more and more across the C-suite, people understand, hey, the right uh, good talent in the supply chain world is uh, not something to be trifled with, right? You've got to be able to invest, find the right person, the right background, because they will truly help elevate overall company's uh, results and i tell them a good leader that we bring in uh, one of the uh, one of the key things we look for Colin, is if that person if he or she can not bring in at least one or two or three people with them especially if they've worked 10 15 20 years that's a big red flag too mm -hmm. so you got to look at you know their track record you got to look at their background you got to look at what they've done understand that technically they're strong but that's another important thing we look at is can this person bring people with them because that is a sign of a good leader as well Mm, it's interesting because it's the analogy in sales as well. If a salesperson isn't bringing their clients with them, then uh, they aren't a very good salesperson. <laughs> it's the same in leadership terms. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. Sort of ending a uh, a look at something that's passionate to me, which is obviously we're in the learning uh, community, and one of the key things is the cost of losing really good people, and therefore. There's almost this challenge about spend on learning and talent. You talked about upskilling. And it's this equation between how much I spend on training and development and how much that impacts retention. It's very difficult to make that link to do that. So a lot of organizations go, well, let's cut the learning side. And I, I'm fascinated to understand your experience in terms of how that has an impact and whether you have a view on that, because for me, it just doesn't make sense. You are 100% spot on, uh, Colin. So one of my favorite professors I've been tracking for a long time author is this gentleman named peter capelli so he's written some good books and he just had an article came out in uh, earlier this year i think the january february hbr magazine something which what you talked about in which what you know i i talked to my clients and he talked about how the financial accounting setup that we have is one of the big impediments for hr to be able to do their job and his whole premise is exactly that, that when things get tight, companies are like, okay, what do we need to do? Oh, we're going to cut. First, we're going to cut talent. Then we're going to cut HR people. By talent, I mean people. Then we're going to cut the people that find people and do other HR stuff. Then we're going to cut training and development. And he's like, yeah. this is a self-fulfilling prophecy that just yeah. is uh, so uh, harmful to companies long-term. Why would we do this? So he starts peeling back the onions, and a lot of it is the way 
accounting, the way we do uh, like gap in the United States, right? Gap accounting and other ways is that, look, anytime you have training and development, that is going in as an expense, that is reducing your income. And when companies are looking to boost, they can't have all these extraneous expenses or costs on there. So that gets the ax. Or what is the biggest cost for most companies? It's headcount. So they, they become short-sighted and they're like, okay, we're going to cut heads because that's going to make it look really good in the short term. And then when we need to hire, we're going to go hire contractors. So that's giving a lot of oxygen to the gig economy, to the yeah. free agents. But those are there's some benefits there, but there's some detriments too in terms mm -hmm. of tribal knowledge, culture, camaraderie with the team, all that kind of uh, teamwork aspect. So I, I was really glad to see somebody shine the spotlight on this issue is, is that when we just let the finance piece take over mm -hmm. and not really understand how it impacts the organization overall, you know, that is something which I think we need to have more of a discussion on. And I think our industry has a, um, you know, a, uh almost a, a need to start explain it and help people explain it. Because, you know, there's, there's a trend at the moment that most decisions are being escalated to CFO level in businesses on any spend. Everything is going up there. So it's almost going back to the command control piece around finance we had a while ago. But there's an educational piece that when the business case arrives, if it's strong enough, then it's a no-brainer. But how do we measure this development and retention and cost of loss is a critical piece. Exactly. And, and, and if you think about it, uh, Colin, in companies we've seen, think about it, it's a lot easier getting approval for a contractor. It's a lot easier mm -hmm. getting approval for, let's say, even tech, HR tech or any kind of tech than it is to go and say, I need a headcount. Yeah. That becomes such a political, it's, uh, it is just a fraught with uh, so many issues, right? But again, it's the misalignment of incentives, right? Yeah. So now, even, even in the IT sector, they're finding, uh, they're hiring vendor managers to come in and manage these, all these, let's say, software vendors, but you don't want to hire a full-time person, right? Or you could go and say, look, let's hire this company, let's hire consulting it's a lot easier to hire consultancies and or consultants than it is to say, I need to build a team of five people. So till we figure out how uh, we're going to reconcile this, this is going to stay a challenge. Yeah, you're so right. A number of our clients have that exactly. It's easier to ask for a budget of a million than it is to get a headcount, you know, and you think, exactly. well, how, how the <laughs> retention <laughs> and knowledge and other things in there is amazing. Tell me a bit about your um, angel investing piece because I'm, I'm fascinated. I want to end on that and go into that a bit. So yeah, sure. how did you get so, into it? Yeah. So it, it just kind of feeds into the broader uh, entrepreneurial ambition that I've had interest, uh, just, you know, overall uh, interest in business, having had a little bit of flavor in uh, some smaller companies when I was still in corporate. And it's a way to continue to, you know, thread the needle between two of the things that I'm passionate about, right? Uh, the supply chain world and the talent and leadership world. So I like to focus on companies that uh, have a little bit of a more of a future of work theme. For instance, you know, we were, we were talking about access and interviewing and talent. So there's this company, interestingly enough, based in the UK, actually, that just started up as a way, uh, AI based that, hey, how can you interview more and more people and take the bias out? Because now mm -hmm. with jobs, 
Uh, there's, let's say, 100 people are applying. No HR or hundreds. HR can't go through all hundreds of people. They're just search keyword search, and so many people are being left out. So this company has come up with a way they give these people five questions to answer, and we will have AI transcribe, dissect, and measure purely the responses. So you take away uh, video, picture, sound, anything. It's just their response. And then based on however you want to weight them and what you want to evaluate them, you will have an assessment. So you can theoretically have 200 candidates assessed on their responses and shortlist from there versus having a shortlist of 10 because that's all the time you have. So I love that. Interesting. Um, Yeah, so that's one. But anything that actually allows companies to be able to humanize the process, right? That's my thesis as I'm finding these types of different companies. I want to find those companies that are humanizing, whether it's mentorship, whether it's um, through technology, right? So it's not just technology, but it's technology that's helping humanize a lot of these things that uh, talent or our workers are dealing with that hasn't yet uh, progressed to where it's as beneficial. So there's companies, startup companies now that are providing, there's mentorship companies, there's coaching, uh, there's uh, now startups that are making the performance review process, which is completely dysfunctional, trying to make mm. that a little bit more, uh, much more useful and impactful. So it's it's these these things is what uh, truly catches my attention. So anything I can do from an advisory perspective, helping them out or invest or both is what uh, mm. is also what I do. Uh, I love that. I love that. And I love the focus on humanizing as well, because that's, you know, we talk about elevating the, the individual in leadership and, and getting that in place. And everybody believes that AI and machines can take over. There's a human element that's, you know, it's about finding that edge between those and thinking about how we develop those as well. So, yeah, yeah. amazing. No, I'm really optimistic <laughs> with our talent, right? The young talent that's out there, working on on all of these solving these problems for us right so uh, it's, it's uh, I, and i hats off to them because i i don't know if i could do it um i work in a business i feel like sometimes it's a startup but it's uh, it's not it's been a while in terms of its evolution but yeah it's a it's a risk but it's a, a great risk to take i want to finish with the uh, regular questions i finish with so the first one is if you had to pick one memorable moment that is shaped your leadership your or impacted your leadership what would be that small memorable moment that shaped it it'd be my last uh, boss that i had uh, he uh, had him for four years out of the five years i was at the company first couple of years uh, the dynamic was a little bit more volatile um, i was younger uh, but then once i flipped the switch to realize that hey every interaction i have with him i learn because this guy has done it all, seen it all. I don't agree with him all the time, but there's a learning to be had. So once I flipped that switch and I took advantage of that opportunity to learn, here we are 15 years later. He's a friend, he's a mentor, he's been a client, still somebody I, I look up to and I still learn from. So it's the learning agility. That, that really helped me focus on that. And now it's something I stress a lot with potential leadership. I love that because actually sometimes the best relationships are the ones where it's a bit like, you know, making the pearl out of the oyster. There's got to be a grit, a bit of grit in there to actually, uh, to allow that to happen. And sometimes it's those ones that, uh, that make and break you are the ones that are quite difficult, but actually you see the learning at the end of it. I love it. Exactly. So second question, if you had one thing to disrupt in leaders nowadays, what would it be? To continue to focus on the succession. Don't overstay your welcome. 
All right, we're beginning to see this trend more and more. Um, I know we talked initially about politics. Yeah, it's happening. Politicians, authoritarians, nobody wants to leave. But it's happening in the business world as well, too. Too many times we get enamored with leaders uh, that uh, have built a company, but then they come back and they come back and then they come back. Right? You've had uh, Iger come back at Disney. You had Schultz come back at Starbucks. You've had others. You have de- you've had Ray Dalio not wanting to leave Bridgewater. Uh, there was a story about that recently. So at some point, understand that a part of being a successful leader is having a succession plan and making sure that you stick to it. And, you know, as Charles de Gaulle said, the graveyards are full of indispensable people. So nobody's indispensable, right? Have that plan. Don't overstay and move on. <laughs> You've been talking to my team, obviously. That was an influencing message from them, I'm sure. Like, get out. Come on. <laughs> Give us freedom. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and if I to end in on this one, what is the one leadership habit that's non-negotiable for you? It has to be. It always has been and always will be for me is the integrity. Right. It is um, something that some of the best leaders I've had that I'm still in touch with. It's unimpeachable. Right? You always know that they will do the right thing. There's no ambiguity. There's nothing. There's no gray area when you know. Yeah, there's gray areas in business, always are. But when it comes to doing the right thing and knowing where they stand, knowing that there will never be an issue in terms of either financial, moral, ethical, that integrity is for me a um it's an love it so if people want to find out more about you geek out on what you geek out on where could they find you nothing so i try to stay active on uh linkedin obviously i'm on twitter and then we i have a, a newsletter uh, called the supply times it's been a little over a year and a half now in which we talk about trends in the supply chain world and a future of work uh, so we cover both areas, and then I also list out what I'm reading, what I'm thinking about, what I'm watching, what I'm listening. Uh, so it. it's the supplytimes.com. You can subscribe to it. It's uh, uh, every two weeks. It's free. So with, uh, And then I have my own website, too, nasimalik.com. Amazing. Sir, it's a pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Um, thank you for coming on the Leadership Tales podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colin. Cheers. Well, folks, that was Nassim. Uh, just for me, one of the biggest topics I've always got in my head is this link between procurement value and what we spend in our organizations around learning, development, and how that impacts on uh, retention and therefore whether people stay or go. And that cost of loss of people in organizations is critical. And therefore today, just talking about that and hearing that stat that that's that learning is becoming one of the, you know, increasingly one of the factors that contributes to people staying and being retained in an organization is massive. And it's that other almost onus on us as an industry to start to say, so how do we measure this? How do we measure the impact of the cost of loss, cost of retention, and also then link it into that retention, how that builds culture and impact on business performance. So fascinated by that conversation and again supply times great reads uh, well worth even if you're not a supply chain person just we we are impacted massively by supply chain at the moment whether it's pandemic post-pandemic and it's fascinating to see how it's impacting an organization so thank you to the team folks i'll look forward to welcoming you back on another episode of the leadership tales podcast very soon